0: Hello, Florida Bar members and Florida Registered Paralegals. This is a quick reminder
1: from the Standing Committee on Mental Health and Wellness of Florida Lawyers that you are approved to use the Florida Lawyers Helpline, a completely free and confidential around-the-clock helpline designed to support you in managing the challenges of both your personal and professional life. By dialing
0: 833-FL1-WELL or 833 351 you can connect with mental health professionals who are ready to assist you. Take advantage of up to five complimentary in person or telehealth counseling sessions annually. And remember, there's no limit to the number of calls you can make. Reach out today.
1: You're listening to the Florida Bar Podcast, brought to you by the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel. Produced by the Broadcast Professionals of The Florida Bar. Welcome to The Florida Bar's Legal Fuel Podcast, brought to you by the Practice Resource Center of The Florida Bar. We're so glad you're joining us. This is Christine Bilbrey. I'm the director of the Practice Resource Center and one of the hosts of the show, which is being recorded from our studio in Tallahassee, Florida.
2: And I'm Jamie Moore. I'm a practice management advisor at the Florida Bar and co-host of today's podcast. Our goal at the Practice Resource Center is to assist Florida attorneys with running the business side of their law practices. We focus on a different topic each month and carry the theme through our website with related tips, videos and articles.
1: So Microsoft 365 is a must for many legal professionals who rely on its wide range of time-saving and regularly enhanced tools. There are also specifically designed features within the software to streamline your daily legal workflow that you may not be aware of. And now artificial intelligence has been integrated across Microsoft 365. It's called Copilot, and it is poised to become your new digital assistant inside all of the Microsoft applications that you're already using. Smart lawyers should take note and ask how Copilot can instantly and fundamentally change how you get work done in your firm. So joining us today to discuss Microsoft 365 and their new co-pilot is Ben Shore, a Senior Content Manager at Microsoft. Ben
2: Shore is a Senior Content Program Manager at Microsoft. He is also the author of several books and articles on technology, including The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Outlook, The Lawyer's Guide to Microsoft Word, and OneNote in One Hour. He was a Microsoft MVP for 20 years and has been involved in management and technology for more than 30 In his free time, he's a slow Ironman triathlete and a high school football coach. He currently lives with his family in Redmond, Washington. Welcome to the show, Ben.
0: Thanks. Appreciate you having me.
1: So Ben, before we dive into all things Microsoft 365, which a lot of our listeners are already using, tell us about your role as a senior content project manager at Microsoft. What what does your day look like? Sure. So I, I work in a, a under
0: our Experiences Plus Devices division, which includes you know Windows, Microsoft 365, Surface devices, things like that. And our particular organization is called uh, Customer Success Engineering, which basically means that it's my job to help our customers be more successful with Microsoft 365, uh, including Copilot. Day to day, that includes creating um, articles, training materials, videos, uh, working with product teams on their uh, user interface, talking to customers, and trying to help them be more—you know—figure out what they actually need and want for the products. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty varied task and uh, a lot of fun most of the time.
2: Excellent. Uh, let's start with Microsoft's Copilot. Can you give our listeners a general overview of what Copilot is?
0: Sure. So, so Copilot is an artificial intelligence tool that uh, is being built into just about every product we make these days, it seems. And its purpose is to help the user uh, be more productive, be more creative, get more done, uh, handle repetitive tasks for you. Uh, It can be a, I don't want to say trusted advisor because that kind of overstates it a little bit, uh, but it can be a really handy tool for brainstorming uh, and for getting um, different viewpoints and ideas.
1: So on the Microsoft website for Copilot, it says, quote, now you can be more creative in Word, more analytical in Excel, more expressive in PowerPoint, more productive in Outlook, and more collaborative in Teams. And the initial reaction from some attorneys to all of this is likely along the lines of, ugh, now I have to learn something new or don't change what isn't broken. So a lot of attorneys don't like change. The beauty of CoPilot is that there really isn't a big learning curve because it operates with natural language. So you can literally give CoPilot instructions just like you would your human assistant. Do you have user-friendly suggestions for beginners who are willing to start using CoPilot if they're skeptical?
0: Uh, Yeah. And and in fact, that's a a good way to put it, about giving instructions like an assistant. Um, I think for most attorneys, it's going to be helpful to think of CoPilot and really any generative AI. Uh, almost like a like a, a law student intern uh, like you want to tell it what you want be as specific as possible uh, and then review what comes out of it um, for accuracy for tone for for a whole bunch of things right you make a great point that, that one of the sort of really revolutionary changes in this new technology is the, that you don't need to learn some magical new syntax you don't need to figure out you know where each button is right it is natural language and so you can just tell it in plain english write me an article about this thing uh make it this long point it at an audience of etc and it'll give you a draft of that uh so that's really powerful so as far as, far as tips uh I, you know I, I think that's a great example of tell it what you want be as specific as possible. Tell it what you want the output to look like and then review. Uh, one of the other tips I can give is it can be really helpful to set context. It seems a little bit silly sometimes, but uh, a lot of times when I'm working with Copilot uh, or any gender of AI and I'm, I'm asking it questions or I'm asking it to do something, I'll often give it a, sort of a persona to play. So, for example, the other day I was having a discussion with somebody. This is a non-work related one, but that's okay. I was having a discussion with somebody about uh, electric vehicles. So I wanted to ask the AI a couple of questions and and do a little bit of uh, of fact checking. And so I said, uh, I, I told the AI, you are an expert on electric vehicles and electric power generation. And it seems silly to say that because you presume that the AI, it doesn't change what the AI knows. But in doing that, you let the AI sort of scope where it's going to give its answers from, the data set it's going to give its answers from, uh, and that can help you get a higher quality answer. Likewise, the other thing that can be helpful is telling the AI what your audience is. So, for example, if you're having Copilot write a blog post for you uh, on, um, I don't know, wills and trusts, let's say. You could say, uh, you know, write a blog post on wills and trusts. Uh, intended for an audience of people who are not very sophisticated on the subject. When you give it that, uh, that direction of who the audience is, uh, it can help set the voice and tone. It can help it set um, the kinds of words it's going to use, how detailed it might be. Um, that can be super powerful, too. So, so giving it the persona of who it is and then also telling it what the audience for the, for the output is can both be very helpful.
1: And I like the demos where we've watched because you give it uh, a prompt. And then like what you're talking about, you don't have to create an all new prompt. You can just keep telling it, like add to it back and forth. Like my experience with chatbots before all of this was obviously just like online shopping. When you had an issue, (laughs) it would pop up saying, can I help you? So it's it's, AI is not new for the people that are skeptical all the way to terrified. Like the recent 60 Minutes episode, the man they say is the godfather of AI was saying, you know, it's going to take over um and that's unsettling to you know maybe older attorneys but it's actually it's 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 very interesting to me how quickly people are coming around because some of the attorneys that i've spoken with who were very against it um are now saying i i've uh give it like you're talking about give it um a, a task like you would a law student intern it comes back and they say well 90% of that i i could have come up with myself but 10% i didn't think of at all and it was really helpful and now they're excited so instead of saying i'm never using it they are saying to other attorneys, uh, you're stupid if you're not using it. It's gonna change everything. I'm saving so much time. I'm saving my clients money. Yeah.
0: And that's the other thing too, is that that he said, you know, 90% of it, some they could have come up with the results. Yes, but the AI came up with it in two in you know, 20 <laughs> seconds.
1: 30 seconds. Right, right.
0: Yeah. 30 seconds. And so yes, you could look at it and go, hey, this is this is all stuff I know, but I didn't have to write it. <laughs> the AI did."
1: Absolutely, yeah. I think with any project when you're starting, it's the blank page that that is such a block for a lot of people. And so getting it to just this is a jumping off point, and then make sure you check it. We're going to say that a hundred oh, times, thousand times, um, yes.
0: I, you know, um, obviously, I'm sure your audience is familiar with the situation that happened in New York um, with the attorney, uh, Mr. Schwartz, I believe his name was, who filed it, who, who had a chat, let ChatGPT write a brief for him that he filed in court without checking. And it contained half a dozen case citations,
1: all of which were fake. They sounded real, yeah,
0: <laughs> they, and they look real. I mean, I've looked at those case citations, and if I didn't know any better, I think, yeah, okay, that looks legit. But they weren't. Uh, now, obviously, Mr. Schwartz is in a great deal of trouble. I mean, uh, aside from the, the sanctions and the and the uh, um, the issues for his client that that's caused for his client, uh, and the massive reputational hit he's taking for this, um, you know, I mean, there's there's a non-zero chance he could get disbarred for that. Uh, and, and the solution was simple. Well, first of all, I mean, I think everybody knows that you shouldn't, you shouldn't cite a case you haven't read. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't know that that case really supports your argument. But, uh, and if he had read the cases, he would have realized these cases don't exist. Um, so that should have set off some red flags. Um, but that, that really comes back to the same thing with all generative AI. The, the generative AI, um, you know, as uh, one of our corporate vice presidents, when we, when we announced this back in March, uh, Jared Spataro said, "It'll Copilot will often be right or usually right. Well, I don't know if he said, remember, it, if he said usually or often, um, but he said, he, you know, often often right and occasionally usefully wrong. Um, and I love that phrase, that usefully wrong phrase, because it's that's correct. You know, some, it, it may give you an answer that isn't exactly what you wanted or in some cases isn't exactly accurate, but it might point you in the right direction, right? It's, it's giving you a thought of how to take that to the next step and you can fix it. Um, I, I maintain a, a hobby blog on the side uh, from work And I had Copilot in Word uh, create uh, an article for me. And I asked it to, just to try it out. And it wrote me about a six-paragraph article, which was about what I was looking for lengthwise. Three of the paragraphs were fine. Three of them, eh, not exactly what I wanted. So I had to go in and do a little fixing. There was one or two little factual errors in it. Fine, I had to fix that. A little bit of voice and tone, I had to fix that. Um, But was that a disaster? No, not at all. It, It took a task that previously would have taken me an hour, probably, and cut it down to about 15 minutes of editing and correcting, right? And then I had an article, right? Um, And I think a lot of people will find that Copilot is an experience like that. And and all generative AI is probably going to be an experience similar to that, where the majority of, hopefully, the majority of what is created for you is good. And there are a few things you want to fix or change, um, add or remove. Um, but that overall it saves you a lot of time because you didn't have to create that from scratch yourself.
1: And absolutely. Just like you wouldn't file something with a court that your law student intern wrote without checking. Yeah. You got to check it like this. Um, can you tell us though for with Copilot what it's drawing from? So like Chat GPT in the beginning was drawing just kind of from the, they talk about from the internet, like different versions of how update the information was. So can you set where <laughs> Copilot is allowed to? Search from like how do you do that inside Microsoft 365? Like can you say use my own documents or my own cases? Or um I'm not quite sure what the what it's drawing from.
0: In broad strokes, uh there are two main sources that um Copilot Microsoft 365 is gonna is gonna look at. Uh it's gonna look at the at the public based um large language model that it was trained on, um, which is you know the, the 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 public internet content, those sites and forums and things like that, right? Stuff that stuff that uh, search engines look at too. Uh, And then the second part of it is going to be uh, your own Microsoft 365 data, um, which is, of course, uh, only shown to you. And there's one thing I want to to make clear too, and that is that an individual user, uh, when they use Copilot, Copilot only sees or is only going to show them that part of their Microsoft 365 data that that person is allowed to see. Uh, And so, uh, you know, if you have uh, two people in your firm, you know, Alice and Bob, for example, and maybe Bob is only allowed to see half the content in the firm because of the way permissions are set up. If Bob starts asking copilot questions about the other half of the data, copilot won't be able to answer it for him. Um, and so copilot does respect your, your, your internal privacy and security settings uh, in that regard. So while Alice might have permissions to everything and Bob only has permissions to some things, well, that means that Alice's copilot will see everything and Bob's copilot will only see the stuff Bob's allowed to see. Um,
1: yeah. That makes sense. So if you're like if you're doing if you're having it write something for a specific case, are you do you like leave a blank for the party names or the personally identifiable information, or is it okay to put that in and let it fill it in?
0: I think from a privacy standpoint, with Microsoft 365 CoE, you should be fine because again, it's respecting your Microsoft 365 privacy setting, and so I think you're okay in terms of, of uh, from a privacy sense. Uh, it's it's not exactly a do- document automation tool although there are some elements of that in CoPilot. Yeah, I'm not sure if that answered your it, question. It does, exactly. it does,
1: it does. It's not like, so if someone, uh, clearly someone in another firm isn't gonna see that you are oh, handling no. Mary Jones's divorce because it's not leaving.
0: Exactly, exactly. And, and your your own your, your own prompts and queries don't leave your firm. Those are all inside your, only, only inside your firm. We're not training the large language model, the public language model on your prompts or your data. That's not how it works. So that's all kept inside your Microsoft 365 instance yeah and, that, and that's one of the things i like about it is you know it's uh, the old saying you know if you didn't pay for the product then you are the product <laughs> and and so that's 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 a concern with some of the free publicly available um, generative ais that you know when you put prompts into them who knows where that data is going who knows who's seeing those prompts you know or could see those prompts um, I think in most cases they're
1: well intentioned. Yeah, and when you when you get all those yeah all the free ads and you're wondering why it knows exactly what you're <laughs> thinking.
0: Yeah, exactly. But with Microsoft 365, you know you, you you paid for you paid for the product. Microsoft 365 is something you're subscribing to, and we have a very specific and uh, I think very good uh, privacy policies and uh, controls around how your data is handled and that it will to you. So,
2: oh, that's very exciting. So who is currently able to access Copilot and when will it be more widely available?
0: I'll take that question in two parts. The first part is, uh, so currently, uh, Copilot is available to customers who are on the E3 and E5 subscriptions. Um, There is currently a minimum license limit of 300 for Copilot. That is a temporary thing. Uh, The second part of your question, uh, I don't actually know the answer to yet. (laughs) Uh, we are rolling out and expanding access, uh, you know, with purpose. So there, there, it is coming. Uh, I think it's coming fairly quickly, but I actually don't know how. Else. I can't can't really give you a specific date as to when it's going to open up to a wider audience. And so,
1: if someone's already in the E3 or E5, will they know when it's available? Like, how do you do? You have to sign up for it. Is there a waiting list? What should they be doing if they're very interested in?
0: Yeah, you're kind of drifting into sales territory now, which isn't my like...
1: <laughs> These are the questions we're going to get, so... <laughs> yeah,
0: sure, I understand. Uh, my understanding is that uh, to pursue to purchase it today, you need to talk to your account rep, which, to be honest, most people with 300 or more seats of Microsoft 365 probably have an account rep, and so you should be talking to them to uh, to purchase. Um, eventually, that, that requirement won't be necessary, but I'm not sure how soon. Okay,
1: great. Um, so a lot of times, um, if you're an attorney that goes to court, you're using visual aids. And so you're taking PowerPoint into the courtroom. And I think we've all been subjected to very mind-numbing PowerPoint presentations that are filled with text from top to bottom of every slide, breaking every rule about PowerPoint. But can can you tell tell our listeners how Copilot can assist even the most creatively challenged presenters with their... Uh, how can they help with the next project in PowerPoint? What can Co- Copilot do?
0: Sure. So we, we've actually got a lot of stuff in PowerPoint now, um, and not just Copilot that can help with that. Um, so one element of PowerPoint, which which even if you don't have Copilot, you have is, uh, assuming you're using the Microsoft 365 version of PowerPoint, if you're still using PowerPoint 2013, um, I'm, this probably isn't going to help you. But uh, with, with the modern versions of PowerPoint, uh, you're going to have PowerPoint Designer, uh, and Designer can help take a slide that is too text-heavy and add some more graphical elements to it. There is also um, Speaker Coach. If you haven't seen Speaker Coach yet, Speaker Coach is built into PowerPoint. Uh, that does use an AI in the background. And what it does is it lets you, it helps you rehearse your slides. So you can, you basically give your presentation to your computer, to your webcam, and Speaker Coach can, uh, you, it uses an AI, Not a, there's not a person on the other side of Speaker Coach, it's just an AI that will listen to your present, t- to you present, and then give you tips. Uh, speed up, slow down, don't read your slides. Uh, things like that that can that can help you to sort of um, refine your presentation, both your your ability to present it, but also you'll uh, I often find when I use Speaker Coach that I spot issues with my presentation that hadn't occurred to me before. But the act of having to present it sort of revealed oh wait I don't know if this slide works as well as I thought it did. So that can help. Now with Copilot you have some ability to do things like you could tell Copilot add a, add an image to this slide. Um, that's a helpful thing where it will go out and try to find an image for you that it can add. Uh, now again, just like anything, you'll want to look at that image and make sure that's the image you were going for. Uh, the other day, I asked Copilot to add an image, in, and it added one, which was not an unreasonable image, but it wasn't exactly what I was going for. And I realized is that also helped me realize that the content of the slide was a little ambiguous. Um, Copilot only had because I didn't give it more specifics other than add an image to this slide. Copilot had to go by what the content of the slide was. Now, you can be more specific. You can say, add an image of a car driving down a road in the rain, you know, things like that. And, and Copilot will try to find you an image like that uh, if it can. Uh, so you can be more specific. And I do encourage that if you have a, a vision for a particular kind of image you're looking for. Um, I, I definitely, uh, that's a great point about two, text too, because that is a very common problem. Um, you can also ask Copilot to create m- more slides for you. So, for example, maybe you've created a slide and it has some concept on it that you want to be able to explain but that maybe, you, uh, uh, so you want to add another slide that explains that particular concept. So what you could say is add a slide about thing concept um, and explain it to an audience who is not uh, very knowledgeable about that topic, um, which again, sets that context for Copilot to use language and use um, imagery perhaps um, that is uh, a little more basic, a little bit more aimed at a, at a general audience instead of an audience of experts. Conversely, by the way, you could tell Copilot to add a slide explaining it to an audience of attorneys, to a, an audience of scientists, an audience that is very knowledgeable about that topic. Just like when you're going the other way, Copilot will will take a more advanced approach to the topic if you do something like that. It's
2: very exciting. So, which applications and just applications in general can be seamlessly integrated with Microsoft Co- Copilot, if you can share?
0: Uh, you mean of Microsoft applications? Mm-hmm. Just about all of them. Um, if we, if we have a product, it probably has co-pilot in it or coming to it. And so almost all of it. And actually, there's some really interesting cross-product possibilities. So, for example, I recently presented at the Wisconsin Bar Association uh, on Generative AI. And w- one of the things I did was uh, often when I'm starting a new presentation, I'm, I'm creating a presentation I'm going to deliver somewhere. I often start in OneNote and I create an outline uh, of what I want to cover. Uh, and then I usually take that outline. I'll go to Word and I'll start creating a, a handout document uh, that supports the presentation. And then I usually finish by going to PowerPoint and then creating a, a slide deck to go along with it. Um, so what I did uh, recently for Wisconsin, and, and I partly did this just to see how well it would go, uh, is I started in OneNote and I opened CoPilot in OneNote. And I said, create a outline for a one-hour presentation. Uh, I didn't realize at that moment that a presentation was actually going to be 90 minutes. <laughs> um, I said, for a one-hour presentation to an audience of attorneys about generative AI. And Copilot created for me an outlining window, just like just like that. Now, was it a perfect outline? No. Did I add a few things? Yes. Did I remove a couple things? Yeah. Um, but probably seventy-five percent of it was right about what I wanted to, to cover, uh, and so that was great. Um, so after I would gotten the outline into the condition I wanted it in, um, I copied it, and then I went to Word. And in Word, I opened Copilot in Word, and I said, "Write an article based on this outline," and I pasted it in the outline. And it did. It wrote uh, five or six pages, I suppose, of an, of an article based on the outline. Was the article perfect? No. I had to add a few things, edit a few things, but it was very good. Uh, and so, again, took a, top, took a task that would have taken me a couple of hours in the past, if so I'd had to write that article from scratch um, and took it to, I don't know, 20 minutes, something like that. Um, so now that I have that article written in Word, that was going to be my handout article, uh, I went to PowerPoint, and PowerPoint has the uh, capability to do something we call transform, uh, which is that uh, you can tell it, build me a PowerPoint uh, presentation based on this Word document. And I just had to point it at the Word document, which was stored in our in OneDrive. And it took the Word document, and it made a presentation out of it. Was the presentation perfect? No. I had to do a little bit of editing, uh, adding and removing. But it was an excellent start. Um, so, so that's an example of using uh, Copilot across multiple applications. Uh, to kind of together in conjunction with each other. Uh, and, that, and that's pretty powerful. I'm
2: a, I'm amazed. I know. I'm just like blown away. Like, I feel like what a time saver all of this is going to be.
0: It really did. I mean, cumulatively, yeah, cumulatively, it probably saved me at least a few hours. Um, mm. I still had to spend, you know, a couple of hours on the whole thing. But instead of spending nine hours building this brand new presentation, you know, I spent two hours or something. I, I didn't measure it, but... Um, but it really did make a big difference in terms of how much work I had to do. Um, and again, just emphasize, always review it, always check it. It's going to need a little bit of editing, a little bit of tweaking. It may not use your exact voice. You may want to change that. Um, but, uh, but it gets you most of the way there and that's powerful. But, and, and by the way, I'll emphasize also in our, our president, company, president Brad Smith has made this point when he's presented, um, that it's called co-pilot for a reason. You know, it's not autopilot. It's co-pilot. It's, it's there to work with you, not instead of you. Um, so it's important to, to remember that. That's good.
1: I, did, I hadn't thought about why you guys chose that particular name. That makes a lot of sense. Okay, so I didn't know that you could just take it across all the applications like that. So that's very impressive. Let's talk a little bit about how can lawyers make the most of Copilot specifically? Is it capable, you kind of touched on this earlier, is it capable of generating some legal documents or briefs? You said it's not like just, autom- you know, it's not uh, document automation, but what what can it do?
0: I mean, it is, yes. And the more specific you can be with it, the better. Um, so yes, it can, it can, it can draft, uh, some content. Now, I know attorneys are famous for reusing previously created documents. That can be, uh, useful in this case too, because you can tell Word based on, you know, start from this document. So you could show it a previous document you've created of that type, uh, and write a new art, a new document. And then you can, as part of that prompt, you can say, uh, you can give it more specifics about, you know, the type of law it is, something, some more specifics about the the matter in question, and then it can go through and and do some of that. Again, it's a draft, so you're going to want to refine, but it can go a long way. The other things you can do with it that are pretty handy is uh, when you're writing things, you can tell it, you can select some text and tell it, rewrite this to be clearer, Uh, rewrite this to be, you know, um, you you could say, I've used it for this occasionally when I'm writing articles for people, I can say, Add a paragraph explaining this concept uh, to an audience who isn't very knowledgeable about this area, and that can be again very helpful um, because it can it can create a bunch of content that's that which that you could do certainly yourself, but it can do it very very quickly. Um, one example I gave to a group of attorneys is you know maybe you're you're working with a client and the client isn't clear on why the statute of limitations is important right? or what the statute of limitations is right. You could and it, maybe it's just an email right in Outlook. You could tell it you could use Copilot in Outlook and tell it explain explain to an un, a person who isn't familiar with, with legal terminology what a statute of limitations is. And it can write a paragraph or two or three explaining the concept. Uh, again, you'll want to review it, but it saves you from having to type those three paragraphs. So there's some, some good examples there. The other area that we haven't really talked about, we've been talking about Copilot generating things. Copilot is also quite good at summarizing things. And so if you've received a document from somebody, you can ask Copilot, you can open the document word, and then ask Copilot, um, summarize this article, summarize this document, right? And it'll tell you, it'll break it down into bullet points and tell you what the key points are. You can ask Copilot uh, what dates and deadlines are in this document and it'll go through the document and it'll pull out, you know, it'll make a little either bullet points or a table. I, I, I think it's, uh, it could do either one. And you can specify, by the way, if you want it as a table or if you want it as bullet points. Um, but it'll give you that list and say, okay, uh, on December 1st, this thing is supposed to happen. On December 19th, this thing is supposed to happen. On January 4th, this thing is supposed to happen. Right, so you, it'll go through and, and pull out all that kind of content for you, which can be a huge time saver, especially if you're looking at a 50-page document. Um, to have Copilot be able to just go through it and in seconds pull out all the dates and deadlines that are in it and tell tell you what they are.
1: Yeah, I, the document review part is so helpful. I mean that that is clear. Can you talk about like some of the things? So you're talking about dates. How, what can it do with your Outlook? Can you, when you call it a digital assistant, can it keep you on track? What, how, if it's looking at at uh, the other.
0: Um, do we have any, I don't think we have any reminder capability built in right now. Of course, these features are changing so fast and it's been, you know, 34 minutes since we started recording here. So (laughs) So it probably has changed in those minutes. Um, uh, right, right now, the most powerful features uh, that I use all the time in Outlook are uh, a a summary feature. Um, We've all had that situation where you come into the office on a Monday and you've got all this email and, and maybe a whole conversation has occurred that you were not participating in, but that you're copied on. Um, you can use the Summarize feature to summarize the email thread and tell you what's going on, who said what, basically. Uh, Now, it doesn't necessarily mean you don't have to read them. Uh, You may still have to read them, but at least you go into it with a, okay, I get it. You know, Alice said this, Bob said that, Carlos said this, got it. And so um, that can be helpful uh, right there for dealing with large email threads. Uh, And then, of course, the uh, Kibana has the ability to uh, write or reply to an email um, again, just very much like with Word, where you give it a prompt, you tell it what content you want, and it'll generate that text for you. Those are, those are probably the two features I'm using the most right now. There are a lot more features coming, of course, um, but those two are kind of the big ones in Outlook right now.
2: It's really helpful. Um, can you talk about what the new business chat feature can do with your calendar, emails, chats, documents, and meetings?
0: Yeah, I, you know the way I think of, of Microsoft 365 chat is it's kind of like you know i always used to joke i want jarvis from iron man you know i want i want that ai that just sits there and i can i can ask it questions and, it can, and, and things like that that's the sort of thing that the microsoft 365 chat really excels at is i can say to to it um when is my next meeting with trisha uh right trisha's my manager and it'll tell me you know on friday you're meeting with her at two o'clock about this topic I can ask it to um, summarize emails. I can ask it about topics. I, you know, one thing I use my Microsoft 365 Chat for all the time is, uh, in, in, I don't know if this is a tech industry thing or a Microsoft thing, but we use a lot of acronyms here. The, the acronym overload is, is real. Um, it, it's not that uncommon for somebody to use an acronym I'm not familiar with. And I could, you know, and sometimes do speak up and say, okay, could you tell me what M65X is? What is that? <laughs> uh, and, and then they can tell me. But also increasingly now, I'll just pop up Microsoft 365 chat and ask, what is this acronym? And it'll look through that whole corpus of information in my Microsoft 365 tenant. And it'll find it in chats and documents and emails. Things, again, that are only things I'm allowed to see. Uh, and it'll usually give me an answer that's a good answer. So it, it does a lot of great stuff around that, about, about being able to, to sort of interact with it, be, a, be an assistant that can help you know what's going on in your organization, in your firm. Find things, answer questions. It's really amazing, really, when you see it in action.
1: And I, I'm hoping we'll put up some screenshots because our listeners kind of span the whole gamut from, you know, complete novice. We still have attorneys who don't email their assistants, email for them all the way down, you know, to we have attorneys that are, you know, working at AI companies. So it's very broad. So I do want to like. So when, they're, when you're talking about this and you're saying, just tell it that or just point it to this, um, I want to have a few screenshots so they know what it's going to look like. Um, but so you talked about the case in New York about the chat GPT hallucinations. Um, how concerned should lawyers be about Copilot generating inaccurate content?
0: Um, well, I mean, like any generative AI, it, it could happen, right? Uh, it's, it's, generative AI is, a, is probabilistic. It's not deterministic. Um, which means, uh, you know, something deterministic means when you when you have input A, you're always going to get output B, right? Leaving aside some of the nuances of, of different base math systems, two plus two equals four, right? If you put in two plus two, you should pretty much always get four. Now, generative AI is probabilistic, and so it's looking at what the probable next word or next phrase is, um, and that means it's sometimes the results are unpredictable, right? So uh, the example I used at the Wisconsin bar was, you know, if you if you type in, uh, he's got the whole world in his, right? The answer almost always is hands, right? That should be the answer. However, there is a non-zero chance that the result could come back pants because there are some people who mishear that lyric. And so, you know, you may have, a, you get a 98% chance that when you type in, he's got the whole world in his, you're going to get hands, but there's still a 2% chance you're going to get pants. And so, um, and I made those percentages up, but you know, like, again, this comes back to the usefully wrong, right? It's a, And that's why we always have to confirm. Uh, It it also depends a lot on, uh, you know, just like that legal legal law student intern, right? It depends on what it's been taught, what it's been trained on. Um, The more esoteric the data you're asking for, um, the more likely it is to get a little bit off dead center, so to speak, right? If if your law student intern has studied wills and trusts but never studied personal injury and you ask it questions about personal injury, you ask that, that intern questions about personal injury, you may get an answer that isn't exactly right. And so, Copilot could be kind of the same way, just like any AI. Um, if you're asking it about things it hasn't really been trained on, it could potentially give you an answer that isn't strictly accurate. Somebody asked me uh, at Wisconsin uh, about using AI for legal research, uh, and, and this kind of comes back to the same thing that um, I really wouldn't recommend using a general-purpose AI for legal for legal research, um, whether it's Copilot or. or ChatGPT or Claude or any of them, really, um, if, it's a, if it's a general purpose AI, because it hasn't been trained specifically for that task. It hasn't been tested specifically for that task. So you're, you're going to run an increased risk of getting incorrect information. Now, there's a lot of legal research AI out there, like uh, Lexus has their it's called Lexus Plus, and I think Westlaw's got a thing called Precision, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and there's a few others. If it's specifically developed for, for legal research, then that's a different story. And that, those tools I would feel more comfortable with. Um, general purpose, AI, you know, it's it's good to know what you should do with it and what you shouldn't do with it to get uh, to reduce the chances of, of hallucinations or other incorrect answers. Always verify. Always verify.
1: Okay. Uh, when we all were forced to work from home during the pandemic, I think a lot of people suddenly started becoming aware of tools they hadn't used before. So we want to shift to some Microsoft 365 features, um, particularly for remote work. So can you tell um, our listeners how OneDrive for business is very beneficial for lawyers?
0: Oh, yeah. So, um, great thing about OneDrive is it gives you a central place where you can store your, your work files, right? So, uh, for example, I have, as you might suspect, a lot of devices. I've got a, I've got a desktop under my desk that I'm talking to you on now. I have a Surface Laptop Studio laptop over here. I've got three Macs over there. I've got Android phone. I've got all sorts of things, right? So I've got all these different devices, but because my work documents are all stored in OneDrive, I can access those documents in real time from any of them. And, and that's pretty powerful. Uh, it also has built-in versioning, um, which is great for a number of reasons. Um, I've certainly had the experience where I've made some change to a document and then slapped myself in the forehead and go, said, so that was dumb. Why did I do that? And because OneDrive has built-in versioning, it's really trivial for me to just go, okay, give me back the version I had two hours ago, please. Uh, and it does. But that's also important because uh, I'm sure you folks have done podcasts on cybersecurity and know, as the audience does, I hope, uh, that ransomware is a real problem uh that the different cybersecurity issues along that line are a real problem. And OneDrive has the ability to restore files that may have been damaged or encrypted by malware. And so you could be in a situation where some files got encrypted. You've got a very high probability of getting those files back if they're stored on OneDrive, if they're stored on a local hard drive. Because you and it's again just because of that versioning, I mean the, the encrypted versions of those files are really just another version of the file. And so you just need to go back to a version before the encryption happened after you've cleaned up the whatever malware it was that caused the problem, of course. Otherwise, it's just going to re-encrypt. But yeah, I mean, that's the, that versioning capability is really powerful for, for giving you some peace of mind that you can always get back or hopefully always get back to a good version of the file. Um, whether something malicious happened or accidental happened, um, that's important. It also gives you some great, powerful uh, collaboration tools. So uh, when a file is stored on OneDrive, you can share it with other people in your firm or people outside your firm. Um, and give them either view only access so that they can see the file but not change it. Uh, or you can give them edit access, in which case they can make collaborative changes. Uh, and if you've ever used Word or PowerPoint or Excel or any of those tools, uh, on a file that was stored on OneDrive and seen the real time collaboration happen, it's kind of magical. You know, I've, I've seen, uh, and uh, OneNote is another example of, of an app, or one of our apps that really benefits from OneDrive in this way. I've been working with somebody in, in, a, in a Word document, for example, and I can see them typing. I can see what they're typing almost real time. Right. Right? And they can see what I'm typing. And so we can be working on things together. Um, it, it's a little hard to work on the same sentence together for obvious reasons, but they can be at a different place on the page and make changes while I'm making changes and we can see each other's changes. And that's pretty exciting to be able to do that kind of thing. And so that's all enabled by having that, that, that kind of OneDrive capability on the back end. It also makes it really easy when you get a new machine. You know, every now and then I get a new machine. In the past, that would have meant hours of downloading apps and files and things. And now I just sign into my OneDrive and there's all my files.
1: That's an excellent point. When I leave my work computer at work and I'm, you know, then you wind up not coming in and you're like, in the old days, that was a real problem. Now I love that, you know, I can pull out my phone. So attorneys in court that need some document um, that they left behind. And in Florida, we have hurricanes. And so everyone that had those um, servers in their offices learned very quickly that that was not a way to be mm-hmm. up and running. Um, mm-hmm. But OneDrive brings all of that together.
0: Yeah. And, and it's interesting you mentioned that, too, because, uh, you know, I've been in legal tech for I mean, I first started working in legal tech in the late 80s, back when we were moving stuff around on floppy diskettes. And, and it was, you know, but, uh, you know, since the dawn of, of the Internet, basically, for lawyers, um, we always had the problem in firms where you'd get some associate who wanted to work from home uh, or work from some other place, and they'd email sensitive client documents to their own Yahoo account, for example, right? And leaving aside the security implications of that, there's also the document te- document re- retention problems there. I mean, there, there's so many problems there. But that was the only way they could do it, right? And and for years, uh, we saw firms who were resistant to giving attorneys any kind of remote access capability, and they just worked around it, right? I mean. What's Jeff Goldblum say in Jurassic Park, right? Life finds a way, right? Um, we, we saw the same thing in offices. Lawyers who wanted Wi Fi and the, the firm wouldn't install Wi Fi, they bring in their own Wi Fi, they go to Best Buy and bring their own Wi Fi access point in so they, there, so they could sit on their couch with their laptop and work. They work around the firm. Uh, and so OneDrive lets you set up a situation where attorneys, your attorneys can still access their documents uh, remotely in a secure way rather than emailing things to their Gmail or or putting them on a flash drive and sticking that flash drive in their pocket and hoping that flash drive doesn't you know, fall out at the grocery store. And so, uh, so that's a, another great point is that it gives you that ability for remote access. If you do have a situation where suddenly you have, a, have to work from home or work from some other place, you still have access to all your files. That's, that's important.
2: Yeah, that is very important. Um, another one of our favorite tools in our office is Microsoft Teams. Because it just it offers so many different features, and um, I'm sure there's many features that lawyers might not be aware of. So, could you share uh, some of the key functionalities and other highlights that are really useful with Teams?
0: Sure. So, uh, a couple things with Teams uh, that that people don't think about probably is first of all there are a lot of add-ins for Teams, add or add-ons for Teams. I think uh, so. For example, uh, Law Toolbox has a Teams add-on. So if you're a Law Toolbox customer, you should absolutely be using the Law Toolbox um, Teams add-on because it can incorporate that functionality and bring it right into Teams for you. Um, I think Clio does too now. There's, there's increasingly, we're seeing uh, um, legal tech companies building add-ons for Teams that let you bring their functionality into Teams, um, which is super useful. saves you a lot of time, saves you having to have 40 windows open on your screen at one time. And, and it really does a nice job of bringing that functionality in together. Um, another thing that we get asked about a lot of people don't realize is that you can use, uh, you do need a subscription for it, but Teams can be your phone system. Uh, we use Teams as our phone system here. A lot of firms do too. Teams does have the ability to be a, an actual phone system. So if you're looking for a new phone system or you're looking at phone solutions, consider Teams. You might be able to use that. Um, maybe it won't work for you, but, but for a lot of firms it does. And, and it just lets you leverage a tool you've already got to do one more thing. So that's really powerful.
1: Our teams have those buttons and I had no idea. <laughs> it said, it said like make call. <laughs> now we're going to go have to yeah, dig into our deeper.
0: Yeah. It's got a lot of the automated attendant capabilities that you would expect. You know, you can do extensions, you can do all that kind of thing with it. Uh, voicemail. It's all part of it. Um, and if you've got teams installed as your, at, on your mobile device, um, I get, if somebody calls my work phone number and I'm not at my desk, it can ring on my mobile device. And, uh, and it just does that through the Teams app on my mobile device, which is really nice. Um, another thing that Teams, uh, we were talking about Copilot earlier, Copilot is coming to Teams as well, uh, or is in Teams as well, should I say. Uh, and there's a couple of pretty cool features in there. So one of them is one that I use more often than I would like to admit, which is if I show up late to a meeting, I can go to, I can open Copilot in Teams and I can say, tell me what I've missed so far. And it'll tell me what everybody, well, not everybody, but it'll tell me all the key points that people have said uh, and things that I've missed. I can ask it things like, are there any action items for me in this meeting? Uh, and it can answer that question. it uh, will try to answer that question. I mean, it's an AI. It's not perfect. Do you,
1: do, you have to, do you have to do the settings before the meeting to get it to do that? Like how much prep is involved? You
0: don't, but the meeting does have to be recorded and transcribed. So you do need to turn that on for copilot to be able to act on what happened in the meeting. Uh, and it acts on both the chat that's typed in the text, you know, the text chat, and also the spoken word, what people said in the Uh So it does a pretty good job of that. You can also do it has a recap, this meeting feature. Um, I know this is a godsend for people who are always trying to take notes in meetings and who are terrible at taking notes in meetings like me. Because basically teams will take the notes for you. At the end of the meeting, you can just ask it, recap this meeting, you know, list all the action items. You know, what did Alice say about thing? Right, And teams can give you that information. Uh, does that absolve you of the need to take notes? Maybe not, um, but it does an excellent job. Uh, And we have people here now who, you know, at the end of the meeting used to email around, you know, post-meeting, they'd email around what their notes were from the meeting. Now, a lot of times I see people email around what Copilot says, um, and it's often better.
1: Because it's paying attention the whole time.
0: (laughs) What's
1: that? I said, it's actually paying attention the whole time.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And and I do worry about that a little bit, that are we going to get in a place where people stop paying attention because they know Copilot is paying attention but I hope that's not going to happen, but, uh, but we do need to guard against that. Please keep paying attention in your meeting.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Handy tip.
0: If it's not worth paying attention, it's probably not worth being there in the first place. So, um, maybe it's a meeting you should be <laughs> Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think what else is important in teams that are beyond the obvious. Um, well you, you can create, uh, I get this one sometimes from attorneys, you can create private channels in teams. Um, and so, uh, uh, you get that situation where you've got a, a team, and there's you know everybody in the team can see everything in the team, but maybe you're in a situation where you want to have be able to have a side conversation that isn't visible to everybody in the team. So you could create a private channel, and then only people you invite to the channel see what goes on there.
1: We use that every single day because we have different programs inside our department. So I don't want to bother everyone with all big announcements. Yeah, that's that's super handy.
0: And, and, and my other tip I'll give you for Teams is curate your notifications. Um, Teams can be a little overwhelming when you first start, especially if you're in a really active firm where there's a lot of teams being created, a lot of channels being created, a lot of conversations happening. Um, you can get a lot of notifications out of Teams. For some people, that's good. For a lot of people, it's not good. And so Teams gives you a lot of capability if you go into settings to curate like, yes, notify me about this. No, don't notify me about that. Um, and you can kind of fine tune it. To, to the point where it doesn't show you, you know, it's, it's not constantly popping notifications on your screen over what you're doing. Um, so I, I really encourage people to take a few minutes, um, or it could be more than a few minutes, depends on how, many, how busy you are, uh, and and really just fine-tune those notifications because you'll have a much better experience, uh, especially if you find yourself getting annoyed by all the notifications, which kind of can happen.
1: Better. Yeah, that, that's actually a really good tip. I stopped wearing my Apple Watch because of all the team notifications. I was constantly slapping my wrist during meetings to because... But no, I didn't realize I could make it a little more custom. Okay.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But you will be surprised when you go to the screens that in the back settings that will let you do that. You will be surprised at just how much you can turn on and off. Um, we, I'm really pleased at how much the teams team has invested in creating those settings, and so um, you do have a lot of control over what it's good going to tell you. not
2: going to tell you. That is good to know because I have to say when I joined this department, I realized, wow, they really use Teams. And it was it was overwhelming for me with all of the little pings and stuff. I'm good now. I've got it. <laughs> but I like that. I'm going to go back and...
0: I, I will add, by the way, there's but one other suggestion on Teams. Um, when you create a new team, there is a, a place where you can add a description of what the team is. It's optional. And a lot of people don't do it. Please do it. Um, please do put a description of what the team is because... Even though in the moment you might think, oh, it's obvious everybody knows what this is. Um, Six months later, there's going to be seven other teams that are all about sort of the same thing. And nobody's going to know which team is which. Um, And so I strongly encourage you just take the five seconds, the 10 seconds, whatever, and and type in at least a basic description of what your team is when you create a new team. Um, People will thank you.
2: Definitely. Um, so we want to talk a little bit about security. Um, could you discuss some security enhancing features within Microsoft 365, such as email encryption? We get uh, this question quite a lot from our members. Uh-huh.
0: So, so there, is, there is some encryption built in to, by default. Um, very little email in Microsoft 365 is completely unencrypted. Um, it's generally encrypted both in transit and at rest. Certainly email sent within your firm is going to be encrypted. Um email you send to people out in the world will depend a little bit on what the other person is using um, because Microsoft 365 can encrypt, but if the other person's server doesn't support that level of encryption, well, you know, that's how it goes. Um, so uh, so there is some some support there. Now, there is also some um, Microsoft 365 enhanced encryption, can send what we still call it? I, I can't remember what the name of it is anymore. That can send an encrypted email uh, even to people whose servers don't support it, but that takes a little bit more work. But yes, there is some encryption built in that's happening by default all the time. Uh, And you can add additional encryption, uh, especially as you get to like the E3 and E5 subscriptions of Microsoft 365, you get some more encryption options um, built in there. Um, The other thing I'll I'll say is you should have multi-factor authentication turned on. Uh If you do nothing else, please turn on multi-factor authentication. It's on by default for new tenants, uh, or at least it should be. Um, But if yours isn't, please, please, please turn it on. Um, the resistance I always hear is, oh, it's so annoying. I don't want to have to pull my phone out every time I sign in. Um, the reality is, if it's set up properly, you won't have to. Um, I can't remember the last time. I mean, I sign in every day on our systems here at Microsoft. As you might suspect, we have pretty heavy security on our systems, um, and including multi-factor authentication. And I can't remember the last time I would ask for my second factor. Um, and that's because if you're signing in on the device you always sign in on, in the place you always sign in, It's not going to ask you for your second factor very often for the most part it will say oh yeah that's where alice always signs in and that's alice's laptop um so we're good
1: and it can use facial recognition for the authenticator app
0: yes yes biometrics yes Uh, windows hello is multi-factor authentication uh and so if you're using the camera with a fingerprint with a pin that is a multi-factor authentication uh and so uh yeah absolutely the biometrics of using the face uh, using facial recognition um, that can be great to help, uh, to help secure the system and make it easier to sign into. But please, please, please turn on multi-factor. Um, the vast majority of, of successful attacks that we see, of successful credential attacks we see, would have been stopped by multi-factor authentication. And it's it's just heartbreaking. Before I was working on Copilot full time, I was on cybersecurity here, and it was it is so heartbreaking to see customers get, who get breached because they didn't do basic thing. Like turn on multi-factor authentication.
1: Yeah, it can wipe out your whole practice because your clients aren't going to have a lot of confidence after you've exposed all oh, your. Yeah. Their... yeah,
0: I haven't. I haven't seen an updated stat on this, but at, at one point I saw a thing that said something like eighty percent of companies that suffer a total data loss due to either natural disaster or malicious attack never reopen.
1: Wow. Uh,
0: and, and I don't know. That's an old stat. I, I don't. I don't know what the, what the data on that is today. But I wouldn't be surprised if it's the same. If you've, if you've suffered a total data loss and you can't recover, like you have to start over, you probably aren't going to. Um, that's that's just bad, and especially heartbreaking when it was so easy, you know. And it, it, that also comes back to updates, you know, keeping your systems up to date, installing the updates on your browser, installing the updates on your software. And that's not just a Microsoft thing. That's an any app thing. That's a that's true on Mac Mac OS. That's true on Windows. It's true on everything. If there are updates waiting. Please don't delay too long in uh, installing them. Because we very often, again, see breaches and and attacks that are successful because the attacker exploited some vulnerability that had been patched three months ago, but the victim never bothered to install those patches.
1: And so they got hit. I love that even at your level, you're stressing that because I I say that to um, my husband, if he's listening, (laughs) you have time to do the update, do the update. You do not have time to handle what's going to happen if you have not done the updates. Yes.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And and sometimes it's as simple as just restarting your machine, right? a lot of times doing a restart will install updates for you that are pending. Um, And so I tell people, you know, if you I get it if you can't restart your machine right now because you're in the middle of something that's very time dependent. Maybe you can restart it at lunchtime when you're leaving to go to lunch, right? Maybe you can restart it at the end of the day when you're going home. Just tell your machine, do a restart. When you come in the morning, it'll all be done. Maybe you can restart your machine or shut it down on Fridays. And then when you come in on Monday, it's all done. You can find a time to restart it. Um, It's it's just important to do it. Um, It's super important.
2: All right. And if you could recommend one standout feature for Outlook for lawyers, what would it be?
0: Ooh, for Outlook. Um, Gosh. Uh, So one thing I love about Outlook um, that most people don't realize is the, the natural language dates that are in it. And so, for example, if you're if you're if you have to type a date in on an appointment or on a task item, for example, um, you know, you could either type the date. Obviously, you can type it in, you know, 5, 11, 20, 25, or right? you can type that kind of thing in. But maybe you're not sure what it is um, off the top of your head. Maybe you just know it's like the second Tuesday of next month or something. You can actually type second Tuesday of next month and it will resolve the date for you and tell you what it is. Um, where, the, where I see this with attorneys all the time is when they when they get a, a date a conditional date deadline like for example this thing is due 90 days after that thing right if they know what the start date is they can put in May 24th plus 90 days and it'll figure out what that date is and put it in for you
1: I mean it's not law toolbox but it's a start that's handy okay <laughs>
0: yeah yeah exactly um, and so conditional dates is, and it's basically natural language dates. You don't have to, if you don't, you know, if you can type tomorrow, it'll calculate what tomorrow's date is. You can type next Tuesday, it'll figure out what that date is and put it in for you. Um, so natural language dates and, and that sort of uh, conditional dating is, is super powerful in Albany and not enough people use it. Thank you.
1: Okay. Last question. Since you know everything that Microsoft does, what is your personal <laughs> favorite tool in Microsoft?
0: Oh, gotta be OneNote. Oh, one note is- okay. OneNote is the thing. I mean, it's just so good for it. And it's the thing I love about OneNote is it's it's great for capturing and working with unstructured data. Right? If you've got if you've got a table of numbers, you're probably putting that in Excel, right? But if you're just grabbing random notes, random ideas, right? I uh, I drive into work every day. It's about a 40 forty-minute drive, and on that drive, I have seventy-five ideas, right? Three of those ideas are probably okay. Um, Seventy-two of them. No, not so much. But that's okay. Um, and so with OneNote, I can, uh, and I don't want to, you know, be typing in OneNote while I'm driving because that's not good. Um, but OneNote has voice capture, so I can tap a little, I, I can just tap the little microphone, and I can speak what, what I'm thinking, right? And it transcribes it, my words from 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 speech to text. And so when I get to the office and I open my desktop, there's that page of today's car thoughts, right? with my 75 ideas and I can immediately delete the 72 of them that were nonsense. Um, but it's, it's just a, a, such a good way for capturing stuff like that. And I can capture stuff from the web. You know, If I see some article I want to read later or that I want to refer to later, or that's important to something I'm working on, I can just highlight the title of that article in the web, in my browser, and just drag and drop it onto my OneNote page. And it builds a hyperlink back to the original article for me, which is really cool. And I can share these notes either via email or I can share them live with somebody. My wife and I have a couple of have a notebook for our house that includes like house projects and who our electric company is, things like that, right? And we share that notebook with each other, so we have it both on our laptops but also on our phones. So if she needs to call the cable company for some reason, right, she can pull up our OneNote, go to that page in OneNote, and find out our account number and the phone number and all that stuff. so it's just it's just a really powerful way for dealing with unstructured content, um, text, images, ink. Um, I ink in OneNote all the time, um, and and it can read your ink. So I can type, I can draw, write something in ink on OneNote, and that ink becomes immediately searchable. And my handwriting is terrible, and it still can.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you are full of helpful tips. <laughs> okay, well, I love that. Ben, you're also probably the most productive person we've ever talked to. If you're if you're having 75 ideas in 35 minutes, I'm impressed.
0: Yeah, well, it's guess, quantity <laughs> over quality, I think. Uh, <laughs> my manager has learned the art of, uh, of telling me gently that an idea isn't very right good. Well, that was very helpful.
1: Um, it looks like we've reached the end of our program. Thank you so much, Ben Shore, for joining us today.
0: My pleasure. Thanks for having
2: me. Ben, if our listeners have questions, how can they find your books, articles, and other resources?
0: Well, my books are getting a little old at this point. I haven't written a new one in a while, but uh, probably the best way to find uh, me or content uh, that I'm putting out there is, is through LinkedIn. Ben Shore on LinkedIn and pretty much everywhere else too. Um, that's probably the best best place, I think.
1: Okay, excellent. Thank you. If you like what you heard today, please rate us an Apple podcast. Join us next time for another episode of the Florida Bar's Legal Fuel podcast brought to you by the Practice Resource Center, of the Florida Bar. I'm Christine Bilberry.
2: And I'm Jamie Moore. Until next time, thank you for listening.
1: If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit legalfuel.com. Don't miss an episode by subscribing to the Florida Bars podcast via iTunes. Google Podcast, Spotify, and RSS. Find the Florida Bar's Practice Resource Center, Legal Fuel, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of nor are they endorsed by the Florida Bar. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.